that we have tonight. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at several different verses in chapter 4 in our study together tonight. We are off and running in 2020, and we want to make this a great year. And as I think about the new year and embarking on a new year, I'm mindful of the fact that none of us, none of us has the ability to foresee the future. We don't know what lies ahead. We hope and pray that good things lie ahead, but we understand that life being as it is, sometimes difficulties and trials can come our way. And so what I want to do tonight is talk a little bit about our riches in Christ and remind us of some blessings that we have as we forge out into the new year, because sometimes it's very easy to get discouraged in our Christian faith, and discouragement can lead to a faltering faith. And so I think that there is a need from time to time to remind us of some of the great blessings that we have in Christ. And Paul, as you well know, wrote to the church at Philippi, and Paul loved the saints that lived in the city of Philippi, and he viewed them as special people in the Lord. And so in writing to these folks, Paul was in prison. And the time was about A.D. 61 or 62. He is in a Roman prison cell. And he is writing to them and encouraging them to find joy in their relationship to the Lord. As a matter of fact, one of the reoccurring themes throughout the book is the importance of rejoicing in our state in the Lord. And so as I think about our riches in Christ, I want to begin by calling attention first and foremost to our security or standing in the Lord. And Paul reminds us of that in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Paul, as you well know, is writing to faithful Christians. He's writing to people who are faithful in the Lord. And there are two things that really stand out as I look at chapter 4. First, Paul would say to the saints, they need to stand fast in the Lord. Listen to him. Therefore, my beloved, and long for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. He said, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers or laborers. So, standing fast in the Lord. Now, it seems to me that these two sisters in Christ had some type of conflict. Paul's desire was that they reconcile their differences and that they, as well as the other members of the body of Christ in Philippi, stand fast in the Lord. And when you look at the Christian life and you think about running the Christian race, Sometimes, obviously, there are pitfalls and trials and difficulties and problems that, that come about in our relationships. And what we want to do above all is to stand fast in our relationship to the Lord, to be faithful to Him, don't we? You know, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so to have that steadfast, immovable faith, despite conflicts and trials and circumstances beyond our control. To stand fast in the Lord, there's a second thing. 
Not only should we stand fast in the Lord, but we are to stand firm in the Lord. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Paul was in, as I said a moment ago, a Roman prison. And the Roman Empire was a godless entity. And there were a lot of problems in that ancient land. And I think about the parallels of the Roman Empire to America today. And some of the problems that we have and the pressures and the difficulties. We're surrounded by a lot of evil, aren't we? And so you think about the importance of standing fast in the Lord, but standing firm in the Lord. To have this sense of resolve that we're not going to be moved, we're not going to be pushed around, but rather we're going to stand fast in the Lord and we're going to stand firm in our commitment to the Lord. Back up and look, if you would, in chapter 1. In verse 27, Paul said, let Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is writing to Christians and he's talking about their conduct. Is it not the case that in the world today we need to think about how we conduct ourselves? That we're to be a beacon of light in a dark, in a dark world of sin? Drop down to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 15, listen to Paul, that you may be blameless and harmless children of God. Now note, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If you were to characterize the society in which we live today, how would, you, how would you sum it up? Wouldn't you say that what Paul said is spot on for our society today? That we live in a crooked and perverse generation of people? This morning we read from John chapter 3 where Jesus said, Light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. And why is that? Because he said their deeds are evil. You know, when I look around in the world today and I think about the hostility that has been directed at those of us who identify as Christians. We live in a day and time in which many of us, as members of the body of Christ, have become the proverbial whipping post of the media and Hollywood. And yet, to stand firm in our faith, to be resolved that, you know what, the world may change and the circumstances around us must, might change, but we have a relationship that is intact. And we're going to stand fast in the Lord. We're not going to be moved around. We're going to stand firm in the Lord. And why is that? Because we belong to God. You remember when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus? He wrote about the same time. He was in prison when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And he said, you were once darkness in the Lord. But he said, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In verse 11 of chapter 5, he would say, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So standing firm and recognizing that we live in a darkened world. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Yes, we're engulfed in a world of wickedness. but We can still be a beacon of light. We can still be salt, an influence for good. And so, first, our faithfulness in the Lord. And then there's a second thing, our future in the Lord. Listen now to what Paul said, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul here is saying, as children of God, our names have been recorded in heaven. 
They are in the Lamb's book of life. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus said to the, to the disciples, He said, Rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the writer addresses the general assembly and church of the firstborn. He said, who are registered in heaven. Now, it might be that your name is registered on the books in this great land, that you're a citizen of this country, and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It is a blessing to live in this country. With all of our shortcomings, it's still the greatest place in the world to live. Paul treasured his Roman citizenship. But Paul recognized that he, along with these other folks, their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not only were their names recorded or registered in heaven, but their reward was in heaven. You know, to talk to the Apostle Paul, if you had the opportunity to just sit down and talk to Paul, I think, it's, I think it's obvious that Paul had a connection to the Lord. He was deeply connected to the Lord. Maybe one of the reasons why sometimes we're not what we ought to be, we're not connected like we should be. There's not a connection to the Lord. And yet Paul would say, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You think Paul had, do you think Paul knew something about the next world, the next life? Listen to him in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he writes of those who set their mind on earthly things. You know what the challenge is for 2020? Is rising above earthly things. How many times do we get so bogged down with the here and now earthly things, we forget about our relationship to the Lord? We forget that our names are registered in heaven? That we have a reward in heaven? That we're to lay up treasures in heaven? There are a lot of folks, their treasures, by and large, are where? On planet Earth. A lot of money in the bank. A lot of stocks and bonds. They've got a lot of land. They've got a lot of vested interest in this world, but they don't have anything on the other side. Not one thing. And Paul said, you know what, there's some people that mind earthly things, but note the contrast. He said, our citizenship, but our citizenship is in heaven, which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, our vile body, but it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. There's coming a day when the Lord will come. When He comes, the dead will be raised. This body will be transformed. This, this corruptible body will become incorruptible. This mortal, temporal tabernacle of flesh will become an immortal tabernacle, won't it? It'll be transformed. As John said, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Can you imagine seeing face to face the Son of God? So I think about our stand or our security in the Lord. Now there's a second thing. The second thing I want you to see as we look at Philippians chapter 4 has to do with our support from the Lord. 
And as you embark upon 2020, as we make our way, navigate our way through 2020, to recognize that we have a support system. Aren't you grateful to have a support system in the Lord? Aren't you grateful to have someone upon whom you can lean? Now, there are a couple of thoughts here. Number one, Paul speaks of the promise of his presence. Drop down and look at verse 5. In verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he said, I'll say rejoice. And then he said, Let your gentleness, let your graciousness be known to all men. And then he writes, The Lord is at hand. You know what Paul's saying there? When Paul said, The Lord is at hand, he's emphasizing the fact that the Lord is present in our lives. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind is the confidence that we ought to have in the presence of God in our life. Are you confident that the Lord is with you day in and day out? You know, there are a lot of folks that they feel like they're flying solo. It's, it's them and them alone. It's them against the world. Paul is writing to Christians in the first century. They're under the yoke of Roman bondage. As a matter of fact, many Christians in the first century, many of those Christians were in difficult circumstances. Some were slaves. And yet, Paul is reminding them, despite their difficulties and hardships in the Lord, he's reminding them, you need to understand something. The Lord is standing by you. When Paul wrote from a Roman prison cell, do you not think he found comfort knowing that the Lord was with him, that the Lord was at his side? If Paul wrote the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, if it, if it, if it wasn't Paul writing the book of Hebrews, it was some inspired writer. And that writer said, speaking on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. God said, look, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Is that a promise? We talk about the promise of His presence. Yes, it is. How many times have you, have you had the opportunity to sing the song, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go? Well, why is that? Because wherever you go, the Lord's with you, isn't He? And so to be confident in that. Now, think about in 2020. You're out here and, and the waters get pretty choppy. And a storm is brewing and life is tilting from one side to the other and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what, what you're going to be faced with. Does it not give you a sense of confidence to know, you know what, God's with me, God is piloting my life? I said this morning in Bible study, many of us have seen the bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot. If God is your co-pilot, let me encourage you, get out of the co-pilot seat and get in the back seat. God needs to be your pilot, doesn't He? God is the one who needs to be navigating your life. And so let God pilot you. Why? Because He's present with you. And so I think about our confidence, but then there's a second thing. And to me, this is really encouraging. And that is the constancy of His presence. What do I mean when I say the constancy of His presence? I mean there is not 
one single solitary second in your life that the Lord is not by your side. Listen again to what Paul said. The Lord is at hand. When God, when God told Joshua to assume that leadership position on behalf of Moses in Joshua chapter 1, didn't God say, the Lord your God will be with you, listen to him, wherever you go. Now I want you to maybe with a pen make a notation in Philippians chapter 4 and put down Psalm 139. And turn with me very quickly to Psalm 139. I want you to see something in connection with what we're talking about. With regard to the presence of the Lord, the constancy of His presence. First, there's confidence, but secondly, the constancy of His presence. In Psalm 139, David said, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. He said, You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You mean to tell me God understands exactly what's going on in my life, no matter how complex, no matter how turbulent my life might be, God understands, yes, He does. He said, there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That says something about the omniscience of God, does it? doesn't it? That God is all, He knows everything. Everything. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He said, you've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, he said, is too wonderful for me. It's high, he said, I cannot attain it. Now look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He said, if I ascend into heaven, guess what? You're there. If I make my bed in, he in hell or in Sheol, he said, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. You know what he's saying? There is absolutely no way you can escape the ever-present God. You can't get away from him. Wherever you go, he's there. He said, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. The night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Now think about that. There is nowhere that we can go to escape the presence of God. Is that encouraging? Yes. Why? Because it says to me that the Lord is by my side and He is by my side constantly, day in, day out. Does that encourage you? It encourages me. I mean, when I think about battling 2020 and some of the things that we may face, some of the uphill battles that we might, that we might face in this new year, to know that there's a God who's going to stand by me, the promise of His presence. Now, turn back and look again, Philippians chapter 4. The promise of His presence, and then, secondly, the provisions of prayer. Now we're talking about this support system, this built-in support system that we have in the Lord. Aren't you grateful to be a Christian? If you're a child of God, you're rich, aren't you? You might not have a lot of money, you might not have a lot of stocks and bonds, and you might not own a lot of land, but if you're in Christ, you're rich. And one of the reasons you're rich is because you have the privilege 
of prayer. Now, listen to what Paul says in verse 6, and tell me if he doesn't strike a chord as you think about the coming year. Listen to him. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. First, I think about the encouragement to pray. Paul saying to the church in Philippi, first century, Paul's in prison, difficult circumstances, and Paul's saying, here's what you need to do. You need to arm yourself with prayer. Didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought to always pray and not faint or not grow discouraged? Listen to what Jesus said again. In nothing be anxious. Let me ask you right now, what's today? The 11th, 12th? Let me get some glasses. 12 days in in the new year, have you already worried yourself too much in this year? Well, let me ask it this way. Have you worried at all in the last 12 days about anything? Some folks say, I don't worry about anything, I worry about everything. Is that you? Have you spent time this year worrying already? Many of us are knee-deep in worry and anxiety, aren't we? And we think about trying to make it through this year, and yet our lives are filled with anxiety. And what did Paul say? In nothing. Look, Paul's saying, don't worry. So how then do you offset worry and anxiety? Here it is right here. Paul said, with prayer and supplication. What Paul is saying is, as we... As we embark on this new year, and I'm thinking about by way of application, as we embark upon 2020, what we need to do is spend more time in prayer and less time in anxiety. Look, give it to God. Can God handle your problems? You think He can? You think God can handle whatever you're carrying in this life right now? Didn't Peter say casting all, A-L-L? What does that mean? Everything you have, Peter said, you cast it on him, and here's the reason, because he cares for you. Look, he cares enough for you so that you don't have to bear these burdens. And he wants you to offset those anxieties in life. He's saying the antidote for your anxiety, here it is, it's prayer. So encouraged, encouraged to pray. But then think about this. Think about the effectiveness of prayer. When you look back over your life, think back over 2019. Some of the things that you faced, some of the battles you fought, some of the, the difficult circumstances that have tried your soul, tried your patience. Times when you have been on your knees praying to God and you look back and you think, you know what, God got me through that. What does that say? Doesn't that say something about the effectiveness of prayer? Didn't James say in the long ago, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man? What does it do? He said it avails much. You know what he's saying? Prayer works. But look, it's not going to work if you don't pray. It's not going to work if you don't put your trust in God. It's not going to work if you don't realize the power and privilege of prayer in your life. When you look at the life of Paul, let me tell you what, there are a lot of things that we could say about his life. 
And Paul was a great man for a lot of reasons. But I can tell you one thing, that fellow spent a lot of time on his knees. He spent a lot of time praying to God. Not only did he spend a lot of time praying to God, but he asked other people to pray for him. Why do you think that was? I think it's because he understood there's something about the effectiveness of prayer in the life of a saint. Now note if you would the byproduct of that. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, when you put your cares in the hands of the Lord, what's He going to do? He's going to give you back in return peace, isn't He? You need peace in your life? You want peace in your life? Don't you think that as we, as we navigate through life in 2020, look back over 2019, was it smooth sailing for you? Let me tell you what, if you didn't face any conflicts and difficulties and trials and upsetting circumstances in this past year, you're a blessed person. I promise you that. That's not the case for some of us. Some of us have faced some tough times, haven't we? For some of us, it hasn't been smooth waters. But Paul is saying that God's peace, God's peace will prevail. You believe that? Now, there's a third thing. Very quickly, our time's gone. Man, I can't believe it's almost, well, almost 10 till. Let me, let me call attention to our third point. That is our serenity in the Lord. And there are a couple of thoughts here. The first thing that I want to call attention to with regard to our serenity, our state of mind, it has to do with the fact that the Lord will satisfy us. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Lord has the ability to satisfy you in America today? You know, we live in a world where a lot of folks aren't satisfied, are they? You know, there are a lot of folks that are never quite satisfied with where they are in life. So Paul deals with this idea of being satisfied with life. And so look, if you would, in verse 11. Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The word learned here means to learn by practice or use. And what Paul is saying is when we think about the Lord being able to satisfy us, Paul is saying, I have learned contentment in life. Now, I want you to think about something, and I want you to see something. You will never live a contented life until you learn contentment. It is a learned trait. And the contentment that Paul is talking about is not dictated by external circumstances. Paul is not talking about when life is good, then then I'm good. When life is bad, then I'm in a bad place. Paul is saying that I have learned the secret to, to a contented life. Well, how'd you learn that, Paul? Through time? Through practice? Through observation? Through maturity? Now, look at what he says, verse 12. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. 
Everywhere and, all, everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound, and to suffer need. Paul's saying this, look, I, he's saying, look, I've learned. I have learned to be content in life. I've learned that if I've got a lot, I can be content. If I don't have a lot, I can still be content. What then is the source of his contentment? It's the Lord, isn't it? Didn't Paul write to Timothy in the long ago and he said, Godliness with contentment, remember what he said, is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing with these, he said, we shall be content. I tell you why a lot of folks aren't content in life. Because their focus in life is not where it needs to be. We talked a minute ago about those who mind earthly things. Those who are so caught up in the here and now, they forget about the spiritual dimension of life. And there are some folks that they're just, they're just not satisfied. They're not happy. And I would challenge you, go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to read about a person who experienced life to its fullest, and who literally, as we would say, tried everything but came up wanting, it would be Solomon. Solomon knew something about contentment. Solomon said, look, those who love silver, listen to him, will not be satisfied with silver. You believe that? Here is Solomon, a wealthy man. And he's saying, look, if you love silver, you're not going to be satisfied with silver. Why? Because if you've got a little bit here, you're going to, you're going to want a little bit more tomorrow. Then you'll want a little bit more the next day. You're never, you're never quite satisfied. So what is it then that fills that void or vacuum? The world? The things of this world? Or is it the Lord and His promises? Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 6, didn't He say, labor not for the food which perishes? A lot of folks they're laboring for the here and now. They, they have no interest in spiritual things. Paul's saying, look, I've learned the secret to life. I've learned how to live a contented life. And because I have learned contentment, I can live in contentment. You will never live a contented life until you learn contentment. Now, there's another, another thought here. We're talking about our serenity in the Lord. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul deals with the fact that the Lord can satisfy us, and then secondly, the Lord can strengthen us. Listen to him in verse 13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you want to be a stronger person in the Lord in 2020? Why do you need to be stronger? Why do I need to be stronger? What is it that I'm going to face in the coming days and months of this year? Why is it I need to be armed with the strength that the Lord can provide? Number one, do I not need strength in times of temptation? When's the last time you were tempted? You know, when you read Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted. As a matter of fact, Jesus battled the devil, didn't he? And in his battles with the devil, 
Do you remember how he was able to rise above temptation? He trusted what? In the Old Testament Scripture, didn't he? Didn't Jesus say three times from the book of Deuteronomy, it is written? Can we not find strength in the Lord, in His Word? Didn't Paul say that there is no temptation taken us that we can ultimately bear? That God will, with the temptation, make also the way of escape? In other words, there will be an out, an opportunity to, as James said, resist the devil. And if we resist him, what will he do? You remember? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We're talking this year about trying to commit to memory 52 verses. You committed to memory your Bible verses this week? Now look, I need to apologize. Last week I said that those were in no specific order. And let me tell you what, boy, did I find out that was not the right thing to say. So in retrospect, we're going to leave it as it is, if that's all right with you. Uh, you know, sometimes you say things and then you realize, you know what, I made a mistake. So we're just going to leave it as it is. But to take those verses and commit them to memory, will they not strengthen you? Sure it will. So I think about strength in times of temptation and then strength in times of trial. When you face trials and difficulties in life, you know, there are really three possibilities, aren't there? Those trials in life can shake, shake your faith to its core. For some, those trials might break their faith. The third possibility is they can make or mature your faith. And so when we face the trials of, of life to know that we can rise above them, we can make it through them because the Lord, the Christ, strengthens me. I want to close with verse 19. Look at verse 19, chapter 4. Paul said, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what, if you're in Christ, you're a rich person. And God is saying that He'll supply our needs, won't He? Do you believe that? Do you believe the Lord will bless you in this new year? Do you think the Lord's on your side? I think He is. You know what? The Lord wants us to make it, doesn't He? He wants us to cross the finish line, to win the race. It's possible, isn't it? And so to be reminded of our riches in Christ and to know that we are blessed people, to know that we can stand in the Lord. We have security in the Lord. That we have support from the Lord. That there is a sense of serenity that we enjoy above all people. As a matter of fact, in Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are blessed above the rest. Did you know that? You're blessed. There's not a person on earth blessed above you if you're in Christ, spiritually speaking. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to willingly lay aside a life of sin, to repent, to be baptized into Christ, to enjoy the forgiveness that only He can give, to wash away your sins, Acts 22:16. 16. 
you're here tonight, you need the prayers of the church. Maybe your life's not what it ought to be. You're off track. You want to be back on track. You want us to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?